Good morning. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you for joining us on a very special Sunday, of course. Um, just thinking about the children going out preparing for Nativity, it's quite scary, isn't it? I don't know how many weeks it is till Christmas, but uh, uh, something I'm not really thinking about too much at the moment myself, but uh, there we go. When it comes, it's going to be such an amazing time to celebrate the gift of God's Son, of course. We're going to look today at Paul's words to the Christians, young Christians in the city of Rome. So the Romans and um, chapter 12, and we're going to be reading from verse 9. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12 and starting at verse 9, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Paul writes this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God always blesses his word as we read it. And it's good just to spend some moments together to look at what these verses have to tell us today. Um, I'm sure you would agree this is quite a catalogue and it's a tall order. It's quite a lifestyle which I want us to consider briefly this morning. As I think about um, this subject, it uh, reminded me of a way to live. It reminded me that as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, there is a lifestyle to live up to, and we have a wonderful saviour whose example we can follow. And thinking about Jesus, there's this little story. During World War II, when Germany was bombing London horrendously, there was, amongst many, a particular Anglican church in London. And on the lawn outside the church, there was a statue of Jesus with his arms outstretched. The caption below the statue read this, Come to me, all you who are tired 
and a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Wonderful caption. As the bombs fell, the church took a direct hit, and the statue was badly damaged. After the war, when members of the congregation came together to rebuild the church, and that they did, they discovered that this statue, its arms, its hands, its feet, were beyond repair. They couldn't be salvaged. But rather than manufacture a new statue, they chose not to. Instead, they just did this. As the statue was, as they found it after the bombing, they put that back up in place in front of the church with no remedial effect to put it back to rights. That statue stands today. No arms, no hands, no feet. But the caption has changed, and this is now what it reads. Christ has no arms, but your arms. Christ has no hands, but your hands. Christ has no feet, but your feet. And the church then changed part of its statement of faith. And part of it now reads this, and I think this is lovely. If Christ is going to move, it's going to be by our feet. If Christ is going to show love and compassion, it's going to be by your arms. If Christ is going to speak, it's going to be by your words. We are the body of Christ. And when I thought about that story, it reminded me of a song. We don't sing it now. I haven't sung it for many years, but let me quote part of it to you this morning. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing to you today. It really won't bless you. But listen to this. I remember these words. You're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only words of life some will ever read. So let them see in you the one in who is all they'll ever need. As we look at these verses in Romans chapter 12, there is a good but heart-searching question that we should ask ourselves this morning. If I am the only Jesus some will ever see, are they getting a clear picture? Will they know what Jesus looks like? Will they desire to have Jesus in their lives because of what they see of him in my life? way I live. I believe we all have the desire to display Christ and to reflect him to the world and to each other. But how do we do it? How do we do it? Paul gives us the answer in the verses that we've read together in chapter 12. Chapter 12 is actually the second part of Paul's letter to the Romans. Classically, when Paul wrote his letters, often, as you read them, you find there is a halfway point at some stage. No less so with the book, to, uh, his letter to um, Romans. Chapters 1 through to chapters 11 could be, if you like, the theory. And here, Paul's hallmark, as always, with all his letters, is to teach the doctrine of salvation, what it's all about. Faith in the living God and by the God's grace alone. And then he comes to the application from chapter 12 onwards. 
What should new life in Christ look like? How can I be Jesus to the world? Paul gives us the answer. And Paul begins this application of, of teaching what the doctrine of salvation really looks like in a person's life by making a statement right at the beginning of this chapter, which we didn't read today. But the verse says this, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, because this is holy and pleasing to God. Stop for a moment. Today is Remembrance Sunday. We have come together to remember with hearts full of gratitude for all those who, who made that ultimate sacrifice and laid down their lives for our freedom, for our country, for our families, historically, today, and into the future. We today remember them. Let's never forget them. Mm. Having said that, Paul is talking about another sacrifice. And this is a living sacrifice. Lives given over to Jesus. And what do they look like? How are they supposed to be lived? How can I be the hands and the feet and the words of Jesus? As you look at these verses, and I've got very little time with you this morning, I've got to be brief. But as you look at these verses, what's really interesting is that all the way through them, you will see the first three fruits of the Spirit, which should characterize our lives. We read verse 9, love must be sincere. We read in verse 12, be joyful in hope. And it was great that Steve pulled out a lot of verses with the children this morning about rejoicing, joy. And then in verse 18, live in peace with everyone. This pretty much forms the backbone to all that Paul is wanting to tell these young Christians in Rome as to how they should live their lives in their new faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul paints this picture, and what he starts with is talking about love. And that's actually a title above these verses in my Bible, love. And what does he say about love? He says, love must be sincere. The word sincere is quite interesting. It comes from a Latin word. In fact, the word sincere is two words, sin, sincere. It's a Latin word, and it means no wax. Need to take you back to the days when Latin was the, the, the common language of the day. And in that day, there were potters, of course, and they would use wax to fill in the cracks in their pottery if it didn't come out quite as they planned. And then they would paint the whole item, wax with the pottery, and then they would sell it. Really quite naughty. It wasn't good practice. That was not good business. But it's what they did. Now, you can imagine, under time, under use, under stress, the wax would melt, the pottery would break. This made them lose their reputation. They lost business. And so they changed the advertisement to read, my work is sincere. There is no wax. That's what's behind the words. Paul said, our love for each other must be sincere. Without hypocrisy, your Bible might say, which means wearing a mask, having no pretense. It mustn't be something that's faked. That everything we do to each other and to the world outside 
should be motivated by this real love. What does that look like? Think of Jesus. Think of how he lived. Think of how he loved. Think ultimately about his sacrifice on the cross. That is the greatest love. We were reminded as we prayed earlier, greater love has no man than a man laid down his life for his friends. But the truth is, it's while we were the enemies of God that Jesus died for us. Then Paul elaborates. We read on, don't we? What does this love look like? And Paul says, we love by hating evil and clinging to all that is good. I'm sure you would agree that there is both good hatred and there is also bad hatred in the world. One of the worst cases of bad hatred ever documented was found in the will of a man called Mr. Donoghue, written in 1935. Let me just read this small part of his will for you to understand what bad hatred really looks like. He wrote, to my two daughters, Francis and Denise. I hope nobody is called Francis and Denise here today. If you are, it's not you. Believe me, it's not you. And he goes on to say this, by reason of your bad attitude towards your doting father, I leave you each the sum of one pound each and a father's curse. May your lives be fraught with misery, unhappiness and sorrow. That's the first paragraph of a whole page. I wouldn't dare to read to you the rest. It's evil. That, when I read it through, is bad evil. Bad hatred. Awful. What Paul is talking about is a hatred for all that is evil. And doing something about it, because as Christians, we have this unique privilege of standing out and standing up for all that is good, all that is from God. There was a British statesman, uh, Sir Edmund Burke, and he wrote this, All that is necessary for evil to triumph is that good people do nothing. As Christians, we have lives to live for God. We have an opportunity to stand up for all that is good. So the negative side is Paul is saying, detest evil, run away from it, abhor it, hate it, keep away from it, keep your distance from it, but positively cling to all that is good. That word cling means be glued to, adhered to. Can't be separated from all that is good. And of course we know all that is good comes from God. Paul goes on. He then talks more about love. And he then encourages these young Christians in Rome to love each other with brotherly affection. Now I have to confess, um, I grew up with one of my siblings. There wasn't that many years between us, but we never got on. My brother and I, we would fight we would argue. I mean, you've, you've heard of sibling rivalry. Well, this really was it personified in my brother and myself. We detested each other. We couldn't get on. We couldn't find any common ground. And there was my dear devoted mother looking at her two sons, and I can still hear her words, come on, guys, brotherly love. She would always throw that one at us. And we couldn't run away from it. She was absolutely right. Although when we were a bit older, we were a bit more cheeky and said, come on, first out of context, keep it where it belongs. Uh, that was a clip around the ear for that one. 
that's how we were together. We had no brotherly affection. What Paul is using here is he's using a, a Greek word for love, which is physos. And it means the sort of love that good friends have for each other. Good friends in Christ. Looking out for each other. Looking out for the welfare of each other. Honouring each other. When Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he wrote this. In humility, count others more worthy, more significant, more important than yourselves. This is the kind of love that Paul is talking about. This is brotherly love, brotherly affection. But Paul doesn't stop. He wants their lives to count for Christ. And he goes on and he says this to them. Never be lacking in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Simply put, lacking in zeal, we don't want that, do we? When something needs to be done, let's step up to the mark. Let's do it. Let's not give our neighbour a note saying, come on, you can do that. Not for me. Let's not be lacking in zeal. Let's don't, don't drag your feet. Let's get involved. What needs to be done? We, we want to be there. We want to be part of it. We want to be serving together. And I love the word fervent. Be fervent in spirit. Do you know what fervent means? It means to be boiling mad or passionately on fire. I've sadly lost the days of my passion. I'm an older man now. But I can remember days of passion. But I can also remember being on fire for Christ. And I can also remember being on fire for Christ just a couple of weeks ago, serving God on the streets of Plymouth. It's a wonderful feeling. And Paul wants us as Christians, along with Roman believers, to be on fire for Christ. To use that passion, that fervency, that energy to serve the Lord. But he hasn't finished. He goes on, doesn't he? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and pray constantly. I love the word hope. I have rejoicing again, Steve. I love the word hope in this verse because this hope isn't the possibility that something might happen. Paul uses the word hope here to talk about something that has already happened that controls our future. What are we talking about? We're talking about this living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who left the glory of heaven, lived a perfect life, died a death that we deserved, but gloriously came alive again, ascended back to the glory of his Father, and is waiting for his Father's command when one day he will come back for us, the church. This is our hope. If you're here today, and you have not got a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are without hope. And I encourage you, as part of this church today, put your faith in Christ and enjoy this living hope that you can be saved today and you have a glorious future in heaven awaiting you. This is the hope that Paul is talking about. And then be patient in tribulation because, let's be honest, part of our Christian lives, we will come across tribulation. And when tribulation hits, Paul says, so be constant in your prayers. That's so important. Keep going. Persevere. Don't give up. But when tribulation comes, Remember and cling on to Christ, the saviour of your soul, and pray.
I have a sibling. I've told you about him. I have another one, an older brother. And uh, he's a quite a lot older, actually. So we didn't really grow up together. But I can always remember him telling me this. When he was a teenager, walking through Plymouth, he had to get home quick. And he cut through one of the, the biggest parks in Plymouth. As he was going through that park, he was suddenly stopped by a group of skinheads. You remember that phrase? Remember these people? And he was about to be assaulted. And he prayed loud. And he prayed quickly, God save me. At that moment, policemen came round the corner. The skinhead scarpered. He was safe. He learned a lesson. In tribulation, be constant in prayer. Because when tribulation hits, we have a God who is in heaven, but he's only a prayer away. And Paul knows this. And Paul is saying, guys, be constant in your praying, because you cannot hope to exist and live as a Christian without a life of prayer in Christ. We'll be thinking a little bit more about that this evening, actually. So I won't go any further. And then Paul goes on, he's very, very practical, isn't he? And he's now saying to these believers, love, again, by sharing in the needs of others. Show hospitality. This really is getting to grips with being the hands and the feet and the words of Jesus. This is what it's all about, love each other in action. Sharing in the needs of others. I have always been inspired by the life and the prayers uh, of a guy from the last century by the name of George Miller. You'll remember that name. You might have read his life story. You might remember reading a book about his prayer life. And he was this guy who set up these amazing children's homes for the orphans of Bristol to start with. It grew so big after that. But I can remember one story in particular where he got up with his children. They sat around the breakfast table and he got up to say, quiet, we want to give thanks. And he prayed and gave thanks to God for this amazing breakfast that they didn't have. The table was empty. But as he prayed, there was a knock on the door. And as he opened the door, it was the local baker. And the baker said, Mr. Muller, I have made too much bread to sell today. Can you use this bread? There was bread for the children. And as the baker moved away, door shut, another knock on the door. Opened the door, and it was the equivalent of the milkman. And he said, Mr. Muller, my cart is broken. The wheel has come off. I can't deliver my milk. I don't want it to spoil. Can you use it? Yes, I can. Giving thanks to God for things that he didn't know he was going to receive. I think that's faith. I really do. What a lovely story. But it's all about sharing in the needs of others. Peter wrote this in his letter. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love that. I really do. Sometimes we feel compelled. Sometimes we think, just got to do it, but I don't want to. I really feel tired today. I'm just not up to it. I haven't got the energy. I haven't got the strength. Am I grumbling and we're moaning? But Peter said, don't grumble. Show hospitality. Show this love in a very real way. We come to the last set of these verses, verses 14 through to 21. 
And as I read these verses, there is this deep sense that the only way to act and to react and to respond like Jesus is to have a deep peace within us. This peace that the Bible describes as a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, you can't describe it. Words run out. Think about this for a moment with me. When Jesus came, mankind was on a collision course with God. There was no peace in the world. Nothing like it. That's why, before he was born, the angels came to announce that wonderful news. Glory to... Sorry, we're back to Christmas. Hope you don't mind. Glory to God in the highest peace on earth to all men. And peace was one of Paul's common prayers. Read his letters. And he always ended up praying for peace amongst God's people. I think he knew something. With this spiritual, peaceful state of mind, we really can live up to what Paul is going to ask of us now. Now, these group of verses are hard-hitting. These are difficult. Bless those who persecute you. Humanly, it's the opposite to what we want to do. It's hard. It's not easy. And it requires grace and humility. But that's what Paul says is necessary. And then he goes on, bless and don't curse. That word curse can be interpreted in, in all kinds of different ways. So I'm not going to say this is what it means. But we know what cursing is all about. Think about that excerpt from that will that we read earlier on. When I think about cursing, it reminds me of my child in care. Um, many of you know that we have a child in our care. Two weeks ago, we hit an all-time low with this little boy who's just turned seven when he said to Pauline, my wife, one day, I want to kill you. Now, he is very disturbed. He's got so many needs, haven't got the time to tell you. But words hurt. My wife was grieved. We sat down, not to talk, but to, to, to pray. And we asked God to rid us off the words, that they would have no impact any further than using it as an illustration this morning. Cursing is an awful thing. Paul says, don't curse. Rather, bless. That's coming from a life of peace. In harmony with one another. Easy words, difficult to practice, but that's what Paul is saying. So it means agreeing with each other even though you have differences. Don't be proud. Let's remember that we are nothing without Christ. Everything that we are and everything that we have is in Christ and because of him. Let's never forget, that's the bottom line. Associate with people of low position. Well, that was very easy for Paul to talk about in the days where the, the majority of the population were made up of slaves. A lot of the slaves formed the early church. And Paul is saying, look out for their needs. Look out for their well-being. Look out for their welfare. They need your love. They need your care. It comes from a heart of peace. One of my greatest privileges as a street pastor is to work amongst the homeless in the city of Plymouth, to look after their needs, to give them what they need as far as I possibly can on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. <clears throat> my 
faith in this work was really challenged when we met a Latvian and he'd been in the country for a few years. Um, he had sadly fallen to a life of drugs and drinking. His wife wanted nothing to do with him. He was kicked out. He was on the streets. And when we met him, he was wearing trainers that were a good four sizes too small. And he told us that he was in pain. We took off his trainers. And then he proceeded to take off his socks. Now, oh, if my faith was challenged, it was that day. I nearly passed out. Seriously, it was that bad. It really was. But I had gracious people serving with me. And they got down on their knees, got out these wet wipes, started to clean his feet, washed them. We had new socks. And we managed to run back to our base, get a new pair of shoes, bring it back to him and said, this is showing the love of God. This is what it's all about. Associating with people of low position. Paul says, don't repay evil for evil. Do what is right. Live in peace with everyone. And don't take revenge. That's an interesting one. It's something we probably don't do, but can I ask you to be honest? Have you thought it at any time in your lives? There's this little story about Abraham Lincoln. He was an attorney before he became president of America. And he was approached one day by a man insisting on bringing a lawsuit for $2.50 against an impoverished debtor. Lincoln tried to put him off, but the man would have none of it. So Lincoln agreed to take the case. And he charged the man $10 as legal fees. The man was so happy, he readily paid the $10. Lincoln took $10 and gave half of it to the debtor. And the debtor took half of it and gave it to the man he owed to, $2.50. So he was already up, $2.50. And he gave it to the man who was overwhelmed and said, he's paid me back, I'm so happy. Lincoln stated this, seeking vengeance, it never pays. And let's remember, Paul, I love what he says. Vengeance is in the hands of God. His hands are safe hands. Paul tells us, doesn't he, to show empathy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It means getting on somebody who's suffering or rejoicing and sharing the experience with them. It's different from sympathy. It's sitting beside them understanding them and living the experience with them. Don't be overcome with any kind of evil. That means to be conquered by it. Evil can be like a black hole. A black hole in space sucks everything into it. It's so destructive and it gives nothing out. John wrote in his letter, live in the light as he is in the light. Now, I never thought I was going to get through all of these little statements in this chapter. But the amazing thing about being able to do that and spending time to do that with you this morning is I believe that something that we have thought about will mean something to somebody here today. And by God's grace, let's live for God's glory. And my friends, please, if you've never made that decision to trust Christ, 
as your saviour. Take the opportunity today. Don't leave unless you respond to his love and receive him as your saviour. God bless you. Thank you, sir.